This is episode number five of the Beard of Marketers. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. And tonight I'm drinking Macallan, is it 15 or 12? Hold on, let me give it a smell here. We'll, we'll assume 15. No, that's 12. <laughs> the Macallan 12. What are you drinking? Wait, you just smell some paint thinner or something? <laughs> I noted it was the 12. Uh, I'm actually drinking a Glenfiddich 15 this uh, tonight. Had to, uh, it's getting a little chilly here, so I had to grow the beard out a little bit more, so bust out the Glen footage. Well, we stuck to our promise to switch up the drinks that we made in the last show, mm-hmm. so we're good on that front. I think next episode, we're going to do absinthe. How about that? Uh, we can do absinthe. Um, I'll have to find a silver spoon, and we'll, we'll do the sugar cubes. We'll do the whole real deal with All the right. absinthe. Okay. Right. Tonight, we're going to be talking about trust in online reviews. Um, I know you're going to talk about how-to video testimonials. Yeah, we're going to tackle that. That seems to be kind of like a hot topic for uh, some people and really how to tackle that. So, um, We're also going to talk about ad blockers, the implications on mobile devices and also in browsers. Mm-hmm. And then kind of wrapping, I think that provides a great kind of dovetail into privacy and really how do we handle that from an online marketing perspective and what does that influence in the way of our efforts? Um, so, which is... Not just here in America, but especially over in Europe is a, is a big deal. So so I, I think kicking this is off, you uh, had some pretty good thoughts on kind of trust and online reviews and a couple of studies that we wanted to discuss, um, but yeah. also kind of give some real world kind of thoughts on that. And Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I snagged a survey from eMarketer.com. Uh, this is actually kind of old. It's recently published, but I think the stats are from uh, summer of 2012 style. Okay. But here's some general things on, and this is basically about what do consumers look for in online reviews on websites, and you know, do they go to third-party websites and look at reviews for certain products and services, and, and how do they do that, and how do they trust um, those sources? So this is a survey done on people and how, which percentage of people trust reviews on online websites. So 65% say they somewhat trust reviews on online websites. 14% say not really. 14% say very much. Mm-hmm. And 6% say not at all. I'm actually kind of surprised there's only 6% not at all. Yeah. yeah I think there'd be more skeptics out there. Like just because it's on the internet don't mean it's true. Right. Style. I mean, I, it makes sense to me that 65% somewhat trust, but I would think that the not at all would be much higher and, mm-hmm. and people would just completely skip over reviews and just assuming they're all scams. Maybe it's because the uh, that number has become lower as the number of places where you can submit reviews has grown. So maybe in the past people only felt like there were one or two sites that they could go to other than the main service offer offering that that they could fetch testimonials but as that kind of niche especially as affiliate marketing has driven that um space quite a bit um that they feel like i can probably find some reviews out there that are true i just gotta deep dig deep enough right and and i have some stats later on we can talk about in terms of um what sources of reviews people trust more than Uh, other sources so like third-party websites versus the actual site selling the thing right so I think that definitely does play into the somewhat trust in terms of, you know, some of those people probably always trust reviews on third-party websites, but, you know, maybe only a quarter of the time trust reviews on yeah. the actual merchant's website. What's interesting, though, is is how little people have caught on to the 
and I mentioned this, the affiliate marketing's influence on this space. So I work with this uh, national wide security company, and he was talking to me the other day about how one of his competitors, he's like, I don't know how they get rated on all these on all these sites that I've never heard of as being one of the top home security uh, companies and having five-star reviews and all these types of things. It's like, I've never even heard of these companies and go to the website and it's all affiliate links. Um, and he was just like blown away that that, that that goes on. And I think it'll be interesting to see how long it'll take for people to kind of awaken to that and what that will kind of imply to the space and what will happen to reviews at that point. Because, I mean, depending on your niche, that can be a huge amount of what's available out there for testimonials. I mean, you have some huge sites out there um, that offer um, reviews, but many people, probably unbeknownst to them, go to a, you know affiliate sites that are, and these are in big air quotes, ranking sites, uh, but they are really not rating sites at all. I mean, they're right. just someone trying to drive you into a particular company because that's who they are yeah. affiliated I, with. So. I may or may not run a few of those sites. <clears throat> the difference being that on the sites I do run, we actually collect customer reviews and, and, ah, and star ratings. So you have and, that ability. Right, and we actually look out for uh, merchants going in there and writing themselves good reviews. We've actually caught a few merchants. Really? I, well, I mean, um, I could see that happening. Yeah, based on IP tracking. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, guys, you just want to let you know we found out what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, that shame. Right, that is a good point. Affiliate marketers tend to ruin every market they get into. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make that money first, though. Right, Google has to fight back. Um, all right, so here's some other stats that are sort of interesting. And this is... Reasons that U.S. Internet users might not trust a review on a product online. Um, the top couple are, it's on a website that I don't trust. It's 45%. Um, is written with poor grammar or spelling, which to me is an interesting one. Yeah, because I it almost it seems, the opposite. Right, it almost seems more real. Right. Because the average person can't spell or write <laughs> to save yeah. their life. Just consult your uh, Facebook news feed for confirmation <laughs> of that. I mean, wow. Right. Spelling kills me because spell check's literally built into everything at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, it underlines it red for you. I don't think I can purposely misspell something on anything yeah. I have. But the grammar. Right. I wonder if it's too, if it's, you know, most people write in poor grammar. They also don't know proper grammar, so they don't even know that they're looking at... <laughs> right, poor grammar. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Yeah, they can't even evaluate. Yeah, to be honest, I having something too neatly structured to me is kind of a a flag of maybe take this with a grain of salt. I mean, as I am a a habitual Amazon shopper, um, user and abuser. Yes, um, I think that they have an anonymous class that I should look into, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, you come to when you are exposed to reviews on a site like that in the uh, amount that you are, you can kind of start to pick up the formula for fake reviews and what to look at. And to me, what runs pretty strongly in there is being too neat, you know, like having a yeah. specific structure, everything's formatted correctly, it's in paragraphs, everything's spelled correctly. 
to me, that's one of the markers of maybe pay attention to this because it, it is not necessarily um, a, a regular experience, <laughs> whether that's a brand ambassador that they have or they are actually yeah. submitting these things. So it's I think, interesting that that's a... Right. I think me I'm, personally, I more look at the general trend of the reviews. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, look to specific ones right. uh, for relevant information. It's more the trend. Um, anyway, let's move along. There's some more interesting stuff like that in here. Um, one in three don't trust reviews if they're anonymous. Uh-huh. That makes Which sense. is sort of another interesting one because I, I would assume probably most review sites are anonymous. I mean, yeah, a name might be there, but that could be completely I'm made starting up. to see, though, the industry move away from that. So... You know, Amazon now ha- or has for a while had this verified purchase aspect to their reviews. So even though you're, uh, I don't know if they go by real name. I think you can do real name or Amazon name. They still have this aspect of verified review. Um, I know another big one is power reviews that a lot of sites use as a third party vendor. And they push having a verified purchase aspect to it. So even though you might create an identity that has some uh, anonymity to it they are still the trend in the industry seems to be pointing to more of a as much verified as possible right so potentially you might not put your real name out there because you know of all these life walk commercials and things like that people are (laughs) petrified of doing that um but the the general trend in the industry is trying to i think kind of come over some of that trust issues that that it might be present there again though interesting to note i don't want to put my real name on a review site but facebook i'll post everything i'll post my entire life on twitter yeah there's a few more on here um one in five don't trust them if they're too negative Mm -hmm. it's another little interesting one which is interesting too because i feel like a lot of times people there has to be a driving force for people to give reviews. Like, I maybe it's just me, but I don't just review things just to review them. So it either needs to be a kind of a stand-up experience. The merchant has to do an on-point job of trying to get me to come back and do reviews, whether that's right. through a good email drip campaign or some incentive. Um, or third, the experience was so terrible that I want to bitch and moan to everyone else so they don't, something doesn't, happen to them or it just makes me feel better to bitch and moan uh which i feel like those are kind of the standard cases for testimonials so having something being too negative maybe i think that's an isolated case but i feel like it's those types of emotional responses that drive testimonials a right lot of times. well maybe it's people's built-in assumption that it is an outlier right you know you're freaking out and leaving a review because they mm-hmm. messed up one thing but you know deal with it stuff happens right um, for being a child about it. Let's see. Eleven percent for both is too short. So eleven percent don't trust it if it's too short. Eleven percent also don't trust it if it's too long. <laughs> I can't win for losing. <laughs> and then one more here. Twelve uh, percent don't trust it if it's written by someone who is not similar to me, i.e., opposite sex, much younger, older than me. I don't trust women. When I read <laughs> don't trust women. Don't trust those hoodlums. Yeah. Those utes. Yeah. I don't trust them. them. Yeah. That's that's an interesting I, one. Yeah. Well, I wonder what I mean, the motivation what? is for that. Just sort of group theory, you know, like I guess, but I would I guess 
maybe question that that particular survey response and how do you know that most times? Maybe I'm just going to the wrong place for my reviews right. where I don't get full demographic information on the reviewer. Most of the time, it's just a small snippet of that person's right. name. Well, of course, and, it, and it's going to depend on product, too. I don't trust women's advice on my razor. But I guess, but they're <laughs> snuggling up next to me, so they'll know if I'm like baby smooth. I or, guess. Or they're stealing it. Oh, that's true. So they know. Yeah. yeah. But still, I don't trust women. <laughs> I don't trust women. I don't trust old men. And Next I don't episode, trust we're going to go over Rob's deep-seated questions in life. I, I, I mean, let's just get down to it. I don't trust stuff. anyone. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it ultimately is. Uh, I think those are all the stats that I will bore you with tonight. Mm-hmm. So, kind of a oh, long... sorry, one more. All right. Trust me. <laughs> 26%. Uh, don't trust a review if it's like... Too many of the other reviews with the same opinion. Which is How does that what, even make sense? Right. That's kind of what I look for, though, as like a marker <laughs> of, you know, like I'm on Amazon. There's a general trend. Find a, yeah. I find a couple crap ones, then some positive ones. So what's the general trend here? So because, you know, for whatever reason, maybe the UPS man decided to play soccer with your package or something happened. The, those instances you know, well, there will be always some outliers on right. enough reviews. So I'm trying to ascertain what the general trend is. So I get the uh, emperor's thumbs up or thumbs down on this purchase. So that that's an interesting... Uh, you know, looking at these results, I almost wonder, what the hell is a review People are dumbasses. People actually <laughs> trust. Because if you look at all these elements... Right. Well, yeah, if I it's not a general trend, then I'm, like, not going to yeah. buy it because well, it's, it's too like, conflicting. Right, it's like they don't trust ones with general trends. They also don't trust outliers. They also don't trust short ones. They don't trust long women. ones. They don't trust women. No one trusts well, women. Teenage youthums. Youths. <laughs> All right. All right, okay, That I promise I'm done with those stats. I've heard that one night. before. But uh, kind of along those lines, I was reading this article this week uh, that was talking about uh, video testimonials and really the right way to tackle that. Um, And to be honest, the article was a bit general in nature for my liking. Um, It didn't really give anything that was really earth-shattering. But some of their points on it were, one, to kind of conduct your interviews and or your testimonials like an interview in a way where you're trying to structure it to arrive at a certain point uh, i think you have to uh, well, sorry to interrupt here I, sure. so is this when they talk about video interviews they're talking about like so where, how do they get these i guess i always assume people self-videoed themselves when they do video testimonials and what way are we yeah so i think that's kind of like a separate issue and what is the way that you create these testimonials you know and what what influences trust and what doesn't because to be honest if i see a really well professional done testimonial you know i know that you probably cherry picked these people because you brought them in to do these interviews and my trust of these that they are probably typical is a bit in question these are really highly produced testimonials so i think you know, these are the best of the best, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more negative Nancy in life, so I'm probably thinking, oh, that's probably not going to be me, and these are probably like the best that they've ever had, and if you only have two of them, 
And that also looks bad. You could only find two good people out of your, you know, whole portfolio to do this. So, I mean, I think you bring up a good point in how do we even tackle video testimonials? To, and, and they don't even talk about this in the article. So what what does quality have to do with these? And, and is that believable in, in the method that which we're filling? And, and I think that's a great point, too. Like, to me, I want to see something that's more genuine. Right. And something that I feel like users are taking the time to actually produce themselves and submit. Um, because I don't know if many of you have done any like video editing or, or things of this nature, um, but they can be really time consuming and can be multiple takes and something that you're happy with. So for me to see that users are generating this content and submitting it, that, that means a lot. Um, which again, I don't really assess in this video, but that's a good point. Um, so you kind of gave some tips on like how to conduct testimonials. I, I think what you, and this is the point that kind of ties in with that. I think you need to watch how over-structured it kind of comes across or, or super scripted because that leaves the, that uh, departs kind of from the organic nature of a testimonial. And this is like my experience and it feels more like I am a robot just reading off, this is my experience that my lawyers approved me to say, and this is how we felt, and I would give it an A-plus rating. Um, so I think in, in our desire to have a controlled experience and for something to arrive at what we want, whether that's we want them to talk about our fast hosting that we deliver or our really good CRM that we have for this company or the leads that we got from this tool were excellent. I think sometimes in the hunt for getting the bullet points that we want, we lose the personality from the videos and they become not as believable. Oh, I think that's I think that's a good point in, in terms of you're taking what is supposed to be a sort of personal thing, a testimonial to someone else, saying that I trust this whatever it is, and you're making it really impersonal by scripting it and making right. it corporate and well-edited and well-produced. Mm -hmm. It strips all of that genuinicity that's a word making up words bearded, bearded marketers, marketers. <laughs> wordsmiths all right it, it removes all of that personality and genuine feel from mm -hmm. the process and i think in many cases makes it worthless or actually does a detriment right to to what you're trying to accomplish mm -hmm. you have to script these people right? and it just again maybe i just have watched too much of the um like 30 minute um, infomercials, but that kind of is like the, the feel that it gives off. If something's like yeah. too scripted, it's like, you know, we're trying to not, not even like sell you on something like this is a get rich scheme or uh, this is going to change your life or juicer machine or whatever it might be. And it, and it kind of starts throwing off alarms in me that, you know, your desire to have these people smiling like the Joker on every scene of their testimonial and hitting the exact bullet points that you've pounded into me throughout the whole process comes across as a little bit skeptical to me and not feeling genuine. And does that kind of trigger thoughts of MLN style things and, and tactics that we might be exposed to in other areas? And again, how that affects our kind of our believability. So that was one aspect of the article. They also talked about kind of delivery of testimonials. So I feel like I haven't really seen good data on this that I really trust. But, you know, 
what is the best way to kind of broach video testimonials? Because, I mean, to me, I mean, I think that it's great because it, it, basically on the internet I can say whatever and I can go fetch pictures from anywhere and no one knows and just put them next to testimonials that I just make up. And I think that there is a level of skepticism there. I think it's a bit overblown because while people might tell you that they're skeptical of testimonials with images that people, you know, thinking that people just might made them up. I mean, I've tested this numerous times and it's always a value add. Um, right. Well, skepticism doesn't rule out that no I added them. value at all. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's still an element right. there. Yeah. Um, I think the issue that video testimonials presents themselves is, you know, in this day and age of mobile devices, how do we deliver a good experience? Or maybe we don't, we just segment those people out. But when you bring video into the fray, and even, let's even take mobile devices out of the picture, even just desktops, it's surprising how many people don't even have good internet still in the U.S., let alone, I don't know what the picture's like in other countries, but when you're delivering something on your website and it is a terrible experience, whether that's load times, whether that is your form validation, and whatever it might be, videos is just another one of the aspects of your business that can potentially have a negative experience. So, you know, with videos, you have to fight things like quality versus load times. You know, I want to make sure that my videos are clear enough where people can see people and believe them. But also, how do I ensure that delivery of it's not choppy and it's always buffering all the time? Uh, and again, like taking mobile out of the equation. Or, you know, how do I deliver these video testimonials in a manner to where we're taking advantage of potential social channels like YouTube and things like that, but also fighting the distractions that come with that as well. Well, you know, I'm delivering this on YouTube. I can just as easily jump into the next viral video that's posted here in the sidebar and get totally off topic of what I'm having them to do. So I, th I still think we haven't really nailed down how to best use these. Um, I think it might be a conjunction of both, you know, potentially having written testimonials with pictures that maybe you can click on that initiates a video testimonial. That still doesn't solve the issue of um, like load times and, and how you're delivering those videos, but at least uh, you're not necessarily crutching on video as your sole sales mechanism, which I think a lot of people do. They get engrossed in the novelty of video te testimonials, so they crutch on that really hard. Um, but not a lot of people are, you know, there's a good, big chance, big, portion of your population that might not engage with that video because they can't maybe yeah. i'm on the you know i'm dozing off in class or i'm in a meeting and this guy is boring me to death and i'm just surfing the web um and i can't play a video and get any meaning out of it so i'm just going to skip it and if that's the whole you know coup de gras of your page well what real benefit does that have so. Right. And this is something we've talked about, I think, in a previous episode. We talked about uh, videos on landing pages. Mm -hmm. And I know it's kind of a big thing with a lot of info product type websites, uh, B2B stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's becoming big. And I think at the time we sort of discussed, you know, how do you, you know, how do you account for those users who aren't going to watch that stuff or who can't? Um, mm -hmm. 
and you just sort of ignore them and move on to the other people. So it's definitely something you need to consider uh, when you're talking about video testimonials. Yeah. And what I, what I haven't seen anyone do really well is, and I, I agree that, that in that episode you brought up a good point of maybe we don't try to go after everyone, you know? You can't watch a video? Well, kind of tough. Like, maybe I want I want you when I have your full attention because that's what we right. need. Or, or the lift I get from having the video outweighs. You know, for the other people who can watch it outweighs, sorry, right. you know, just completely disqualifying some people from the get-go. Right. But what I haven't seen any sites really do well is, let's say I love this product and I might be interested in looking at these testimonials, a good way to connect with you later like having a widget pop out or something like that, like, you know, email me this page and, you know, whatever. I mean, there's tons of creative ways that you can do that. I think a lot of yeah. times we rely on share buttons or people bookmarking it, but we don't sometimes get in front of people to kind of remind them of, hey, like save this for later when I have the time where the, you know, where I can maybe engage with this site uh, a little bit differently. I think that's actually a good idea. You know, some sort of watch this later button that right. sort of flies out and, and it has some way to remind you. Right. Don't get uh, greedy with how much information you're trying to pull with that. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, trying to, I, I think, again, we sometimes are a little bit weary getting in front of people when uh, individuals or visitors might be willing to engage with us later on. And they just need the reminder and us getting in front of them to kind of re- to uh, engage in that process. So, all right, um, I think we <clears throat> ran a little long on those first couple of things. Mm-hmm. I know we want to talk about ad blockers a little bit here, and I don't run Android anything. I used to in the past, so I don't know if you're familiar. Oh <laughs> I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> Apple is consuming my life. No. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with the ad blocker app on Android. I know you have. You know a little bit about the history of it. Yeah, I haven't really used it. I know kind of on the techie side of things, it's really it's really popular with uh, the more, I guess, the crackers and the flashers of the Android space who like to cook up their own, like, gotcha. uh, you know, versions of Android. Um, but there's also just a strong population that really believes in like ad blockers just in general on like Chrome like on all their browsers and things like that I, I know that for a while there was a an uproar in the Android space because ad blocker or is it app there's quite a few apps that do it one of the big ones I ad think blocker it was ad blocker plus yeah ad blocker plus one. was pulled down from the Play Store for a while so that triggered all the aluminum foil hat crowd to Ten believe, foil, but maybe aluminum foil. <laughs> we're trying to step our game up here um that google was essentially taking them down because they're going to affect their revenue model and come to find out it it just they took it down temporarily because it left an exploit open and a security breach for android um so i, I know that it's popular for people i, I don't think that sometimes they think of the repercussions that that has Right, and maybe this topic is is not so much a hands-on applicable topic, but more like a philosophical debate in terms of what are the implications of ad-blocking programs and how the internet works and how a lot of sites rely on advertisement revenue Mm -hmm. to provide the services they do, which are valuable services. But when you cut off the revenue stream... How did they... You know, I don't want to go to the extreme saying, you know, you're stealing, you know, services from these people by not sort of... 
agreeing to the terms of I will watch ads to get your service for free. Right. I don't want to go that far. Yeah, but to the I, point where... Yeah, I think it kind of moves up a level from... I, people have this weird... I, I think we're finally coming out of it to some sense, but a lot of people just assume or just have a desire for free content and right. free experiences and not understanding the costs that are behind them. Like you were talking about earlier Reddit. I mean, there are some serious infrastructure costs that come with that site. I mean, just within hundreds of millions of page views that they maybe even billions probably most definitely billions of page views they do a month i mean that takes some real hardware and people i mean that that's a full commitment of a team to run that code base to troubleshoot when their database crashes or in uh comes under heavy load which i'm sure we've all seen in right when the smash our keyboards um just keep reloading <laughs> right which i tell you not to do right. but we do it anyways but um yeah, I think that Adblock and those type of, of programs um, presents an interesting case for people to, I guess, just not really understand how some of these websites that they love and care about have to make money to sustain themselves. Right, and you know, I've I've used one before just to see, you know, how does this work? And I mean, mm -hmm. I don't use it anymore for a couple of reasons. One, because I do want to support the right. sites that I, I visit. And, and looking at ads is a very easy way to support them. I mean, sure. let's be honest. And the other way is, you know, I am a marketer. I'm an advertiser. I want to see what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it, I think you're right. It's that people expect free things on the Internet and they don't want to have to pay for them. But you can easily taste the, take this example and compare it to other things in the real world like tipping waitresses or bartenders mm -hmm. you, know, you don't have to right but you do it's the standard right mm -hmm. so the ad blocker guys are the guys who don't tip for right. for the drinks they get from the bar those scumbag steves that yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so you know it, it's just an interesting thing and it's you know like i said it's maybe more a philosophical philosophical debate that we could bring up but um it's an interesting it's, I wouldn't even say development because it's been around for a long time. Obviously, these programs get better, though. Right. And ad networks are in a constant battle with the likes of Adblocker Plus to, mm -hmm. to get their ads served yeah. to people using the plugins. Do you think, you think part of the reason what fuels that marketplace is just people's desire for privacy? Or is it more a – or maybe it's both a symptom of marketers being terrible at their jobs and not serving relevant – ads you know i've heard the privacy concern and f and to me that doesn't add up and i think it's more like a a way to rationalize the behavior of using an ad blocker program to say that oh it's not because i don't want to see ads it's because i want my privacy mm -hmm. i don't well, think, do you think that, that people think of privacy differently online though so i, I agree I, mean, I i know people that are that clear their cookies all the time and, you know, have this weird phobias about the internet about being tracked. But when I ask them that, you know, you're videotaped in most stores that you go into, like that's seen as something totally different, even right. though it's more invasive to me uh, that you're actually video recording me and potentially in places that I don't even know about. Like, I'm not saying this is a case, but like in a dressing room or something like that, I mean, that could potentially happen. Right. Um, and maybe it's out of sight, out of mind, but maybe part of it too is just an un, uh, a n lack of knowledge for how much they're collecting. Well, I think it's it's a paranoia in terms of 
people don't really understand the internet. And, mm-hmm. you know, I run plenty of websites. We don't do much with the data. Right. We don't collect a lot of it. And the, the stuff that we do, we don't do a good job of trying to figure anything out about it. It's not worth the, the effort. Not to say that large companies don't do things like that, data right. mining things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's usually to drive more revenue, which means that at the end of the day, it's an experience that's better for you in some aspect. They might be trying to extract more dollars from you. Right. But at the end of the day, if they're not delivering a good product, you're usually not willing to give up said dollars. Now, they might be price point testing and other things that might uh, kind of walk a gray line there, but... I mean, that's usually the end goal is to serve them up something better that they find more meaningful. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're sort of now segueing into the, you know, the last thing we want to talk about today in privacy so and, and online marketing. Yeah, that was pretty smooth. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you, you know, one of those, the aspects of privacy and, you know, you're sort of touching on that and, you know, people who are uh, paranoid about clearing cookies all the time. And mm-hmm. and I, I think it partly is not really understanding how the internet works, but when I see, for example, ads that follow you around to other websites, the sort of retargeting stuff that shows up and I'm on YouTube and I'm seeing ads for the site I was just at, right. to me, that's interesting mm-hmm. and relevant. And yeah, it might get me to buy something that I you know, was sort of looking at, wasn't really considering. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's relevant and a good thing right. to see relevant ads that are interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Other people look at that in the completely opposite way and get right. paranoid and freaked out like, they're following me. Right. Like, like maybe they don't understand how that works, but mm-hmm. yeah, like someone's following me. Right. I'm paranoid. Yeah. They got my stop credit card it. information. I want this to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, I think that, I think a lot of it is just lack of understanding, you know, and there's probably some horror stories of these one-offs that kind of most like most things in, in real life that, that generate legislation and, and uh, social change sometimes are fueled by outlier cases. There might have been some nefarious companies out there doing some bad things with users' information, but that doesn't mean that's the standard case. And I think, you know, most people, when you sit down and tell them kind of what the standard bearer is for the information that we, you know, we as marketers collect and what we use it for, probably wouldn't have that much of a problem. Um, But, you know, I think that, Online marketing has, you know, its own challenge. You know, when we're talking about brick and mortar, you know, there's some times where we have to dump money in things that we can't necessarily account for the ROI for, and much like we can online um, because of our availability metrics. You know, things that we talked about in the past, like branding, personality, um, and just some other marketing things in general that sometimes we can't really necessarily measure the return on. And with online marketing... And privacy, we're starting to enter in some realms where that that is also becoming the case. You know, like I know early this year, late last, when Google started the SSL integration with their search, you know, at first it wasn't that big a deal in our Google Analytics. But come now, I mean, to be honest, I think it's probably 60, 50% of the organic data that I see coming from Google is now not provided. And all for the drive of privacy and keeping people's information secure. Um, so I think that online marketing is kind of coming at this, or and has for a couple of years, especially in the EU, about how do we 
you know, mine and extrapolate data from users enough to essentially make our sites better and more profitable. Um, and also learn from our users and where they're coming from and how we can market to them. Um, but also overcoming the kind of privacy paranoia that seems to be persistent kind of in the industry as well. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of that paranoia leads to legislation mm -hmm. uh, being passed that sort of hinders the way that the internet works, right. the way that we use it nowadays. I mean, you mentioned Euro. Mm -hmm. We you know we have a website that's hosted in the UK and has a UK audience uh, along with other European countries. And when they passed that cookie law, it was yeah. last year. I don't know when it went into effect. Maybe at the beginning of this year. We had to modify the website so that you, you couldn't place cookies on the user's machine until you got permission from them. Ah, so an opt-in. Right. Well, you know, a lot of sites, you know, require cookies to function in mm -hmm. some way. And there they, were a lot of... Do they relax at all? Because I know... I was on a UK site the other day and they had a, a box that essentially said, by using this site you agree to our cookie policy. Right. Well, so they're essentially auto opting you in, but telling you cuz you it was pretty visible on the site. Right. And I think I think the problem with it is that technically that's not good. Uh -huh. you, you can't get away with that, but I don't think that they're enforcing it very well. I mean, how mm -hmm. many sites are there out there? Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know how they could really enforce it very well. Mm -hmm. We we essentially ended up doing something like that mm -hmm. because it was too hard to turn off all of the features on the site from launching on someone, right? Uh, you know, and not, not putting cookies down on someone's machine until they actually gave us permission to do so. Yeah. So it's, it's paranoia about what cookies are and, and what they can do and all the tracking technologies that are out there and what companies are doing with them mm -hmm. that are probably going to lead to things like this cookie with the, the, uh, the issue with Google and HTTPS and this cookie issue in the Eurozone. So... I think in the future we're going to be seeing some crackdowns on a lot of the things we rely on nowadays mm -hmm. to market to people. Well, be able to well maybe it'll just come to a point too where some of these large companies will step in and do an ad campaign and not just on the internet, but in real life. You know, like if, you know, we have some businesses where they are multi billion dollar uh, industries that are online, you know, people like Amazon even Google, uh, Bing, and all these companies. And if these cookie laws continue to be a pain in their ears, um, and us as marketers are struggling with it as well, you know, there is a potential where maybe a PAC or some political group forms and uses pulled money to actually run ads to kind of better educate the public on what's actually going on. And um, maybe even um, the formulation of like a web standard for cookies that if as long as you are opted in and monitored by a group, then certain guidelines apply to you to where you don't maybe necessarily have to do an opt in or again, kind of similar things that maybe an organization Similar to like ICANN would run. Right, like um, the World Wide Web Consortium. I, right. I could see something like that happening. Um, you know, like they come up with a new method or new way of tracking users and it becomes a new standard um, right. and browsers adopt it. Because, I mean, cookies aren't necessary. For me to track you. Right, to do everything. I right. mean, it's it's what it's a technology that a lot of sites rely on right mm -hmm. now, but it, it's there are other ways to do a lot of the things we do with cookies right now. Right. 
Anyways, this has been episode number five of the Bearded Marketers podcast. Uh, give us a call about anything that we talked about tonight or a suggestion for topics in the uh, next podcast. 904-270-9603. Again, that's 904-270-9603. Or just tell us funny stories and we will relay those to our vast audience and we will all yes. laugh together. Um <laughs> So some topics to think about. Maybe what is your favorite? Um, we talked about cops episode last time. <laughs> so maybe along those those themes, is there any Reno nine one one fans? And if so, what was your favorite episode? Um, or yeah, I think that'll be. We, we should be probably good. prepare topics ahead of time. But... Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I like flying by the fans. Okay. Okay, Reno nine one one fans. Is that show even on anymore? Uh, I don't think so. It's probably better. I mean, I think right. they're running dry on ideas. Okay. Um, but man, it was some of the episodes were so good. Okay, Reno nine one one fans, hit us up nine zero four two seven zero nine six zero three. Other than that, I think episode five has reached its end. All right. This I'm is Rob. Sorry. And you guys have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>